Adam 12. Adam 12. Cop Talk America's on the air. Copy. Put me 10-6. I'm tuning into Cop Talk America. Welcome to Cop Talk America, where police discuss the job, answer questions, and respond to law enforcement hot topics around our great nation. With over 100 years combined law enforcement experience, here's your hosts, Jeff, Chad, Dave, Brett, Jerry, and special guest law enforcement commentator, Mark Nelson. Well, we just got done covering the Parkland shooting. We're going to move on now to our next topic, which I think is almost the exact opposite of the Parkland shooting, which is the uh, shooting that just happened February 15th this year in Aurora, Illinois, at the Henry Pratt building. This differs greatly from Parkland, where I believe uh, Aurora officers did an absolutely outstanding job. And you're talking... Guys, this is a day shift thing. You got you got a lot of officers with, with a lot of time on the job, and they're showing up and they're going in. Especially something as this confusing, the number of nine one one calls that they're receiving, and you're showing up on a on a building that's you got warehouses, you got office buildings, very confusing where to go into. And as officers are making entry, they're taking rounds, they're taking fire, they're getting shot. Five officers were shot and wounded making entry into this. They're seeing their, their brethren getting shot and going down, and they're still going in after this guy. All in all, there was uh, five employees of Henry Pratt were shot and killed during this incident, and five Aurora police officers were wounded. Gary Martin was the employee at the time. Apparently, he was getting fired, and as they terminated him, he pulled out a handgun and started going through the office shooting. What makes this one different from me from the other ones, which I think the Aurora Police Department was a did a great job and was a great idea where they posted online and almost every media outlet has the 911 calls coming in and it's almost an hour long of the entire dispatch of officers responding to this scene and you can hear that just the absolute chaos going on for an hour you know I've been an officer for 25 years and it and it just gave me goosebumps and if you haven't listened to it I highly suggest you do listen to it, especially if you're pro-police, anti-police. Listen to this tape, and, and you will get a feeling for a true feeling of what officers go through. And this is, a, I want to say officers go through this every day. We go through a lot of situations that you think might end up like this that don't end out to be. We go on guys with guns calls every single day, clearing houses, not knowing what you're going to come up against. These guys were under fire. They're, you know, they're on, they're doing a great job of telling dispatch exactly what's going on, where they're at in the building. Well, and you hear the mistakes too. It's, it's, it's great to hear what the officers went through. And it's also a great training tool for any officer out there because these things are getting so common, more than likely you're going to have to face one of these situations someday. And hearing what went right on these tapes and what went wrong on these tapes, just listening to it will get you in a mindset of if you ever have to face a situation like this, that, that you can deal with it. And I'd like to read off the officers' names. I'd love to give a shout-out to Aurora because these officers, and they're absolute heroes, and they did a great job. Um, I know there were five that were shot, and, and one officer was uh, injured some other way, and I'm not sure which one that was. But it was Adam Miller, who had four years on the job. John Kabulski, Kabulski, I believe, 30-year veteran of the job. James Zeger, 26-year veteran on the job. Ronaldo Rivera, 24 years. Marco Gomez, 14 years. And Diego Avila with two years on the job. You guys did outstanding listening to, to the radio tapes. I mean, they kept calm. They got their command post set up. 
they did, were fortunate that they had their own SRT team, and it's Aurora is the second largest city in Illinois, and they're surrounded by very large suburbs that are south, south of Chicago. And Dispatcher did an outstanding job, I believe, trying to, to jot down all that information. They got all the other SWAT teams from surrounding jurisdictions were en route. Um, before this thing was dead and over, it sounded like they had four or five SWAT teams on scene. Even different agencies, it sounded like, were inside clearing this warehouse and doing a great job of communications, talking to each other exactly what's happening, getting victims out of there, getting the wounded out of there, and how this one ended was he he wasn't one of these guys that, that killed himself as soon as the police got there. He worked his way back all the way to the back of one of the warehouses, and he waited and tried to ambush the officers. And they cleared, and you can hear them clearing this building for probably a half an hour. You can hear the tension in their voices. You can hear the calm and cool in their voices also. I mean, these guys, you can tell they trained. They trained well. They've, they've trained for these type situations. And when they finally made contact with him, it was a shootout. And no officers were hit at the end. And they did their job. And they shot and killed Gary Martin. So outstanding. Anybody, it's worth an hour to listen to this tape, especially if you're in law enforcement. Anybody else have any comments on Aurora? How do you get day shift for two years on the job? <laughs> well, that might have been the guy. He may were riding with somebody. That I, I don't have the specifics on these guys, but you know what? Because you look at Parkland, and you got the guy, you know, he's the resource officer. He's probably got the cake job, you know, might have wanted to retire a few years before, you know, but I'm at a school. I got the best job in the world. Probably never thought in a million years that something like that's going to happen at that school. You got these guys now, 30-year veteran, you know, charging on in, doing his job. That's a warrior. And that's what we're supposed to do. It'd be Absolutely. interesting to know what kind of training program and, and that they have in place in Aurora as opposed to in, in Florida. Oh, I promise you their, uh, their training there has better. got to be outstanding. Yeah. Even, like I said, I, I give kudos to the dispatcher. When you listen to it, the amount of information, I mean, you got guys, you got your command post set up from all sides. You got guys on a floor. You got an officer down up there for quite some time, and he's doing a good job. I got a tourniquet on. I'm good. I'm, and they're even saying, I'm shot. I'm in the fight. I'm shot. I'm in the fight. I'm good. I'm up here. I got a tourniquet on. Don't worry about me. Get the rest of the building on. I'm good. I mean, in the, in the dispatcher, even keeping track of all the other agencies coming in. I mean, they got helicopters. They got snipers. They got... Uh, people coming out all different doors of this building, and dispatch was doing an outstanding job and actually could tell she knew what she was talking about. She knew where she was sending guys. Where I was getting confused, listen to it. What was good about this was this was a case, it's almost the exact opposite of Parkland. Yes. Here you have the leadership being passed on from the top down, so you've got guys showing up on a scene, and you've got, if you listen to it, you've got one or two of those guys, and they're sitting there pretty much driving this thing. And when the one guy goes down, you don't hear officers going, I'm running over to take care of Jerry, or I'm running over to take care of Brett. You know, it's no, we've got a job to do, we're driving on. And that's why he had the wounded officers on there with the wherewithal to sit there and tell them, no, keep going, do your job. I'm taking care of myself. Do your job. Go get this guy. And their policy and their training go hand in hand. I mean, they did exactly what you want to see getting done. And no one was sitting there waiting for someone to tell them because they had the training and they had the leadership because, and everybody who's ever been on any kind of job knows there are People that the department says, that's your boss, and then there are the leaders that you go follow. Might be some officer that shows up, and you're like, this dude knows what the he's talking about. I'm going with him. 
we're going to go get this done. Is it possible that the Parkland shooting was so badly handled in Broward County, Florida, that it became an example of what not to do, and that in the Aurora shooting that there had been some changes or additional training, or is it possible that Aurora, some police departments, are just that different in how they handle emergencies? Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. Um, I, 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 the way they've responded to this, you've got to believe they've been training year in and year out. For well, and Illinois has like got a new training system that they're doing throughout the state on active shooters where everyone's going through it throughout the state is, I don't know if it's a mandate, it more than likely is, but you're seeing this consistency of how to do it, how to get it done. When was this effectuated? Uh, start of last year, I believe. So Parkland is a year ago, February 14th, yep. and this has now just started shortly after that, and that's my point. Is this happening throughout the United States, to your gentleman's knowledge, or is this just something well, well, in Illinois, you know, there's a lot of regional teams, and the, the training's regional. And, you know, what's alerts, uh, LIAS, there's different region teams that, you know, they pass this training on to each other. So you're not just training one department, you're training several departments to work together. And this is a perfect example, how a success story, how you do train together and you work together and you respond to each other's needs. You get down to some of these bigger states that have, uh, you know, large jurisdictions like a sheriff's department. You know, they're usually in charge of all the communities within the county, you know, and you got guys doing different different things, different ways and trying to work with these small towns and where you have that problem. But I think Illinois has a very strong training program when it comes to these type of operations and uh and they share that knowledge with each jurisdiction, so everybody's somewhat on the same page. I'd like all of your opinions on something. Several federal agencies responded in the Aurora shooting. Several federal agencies were there as well. I know they were en route. <clears throat> I don't know if they ever, did they ever get there. Yes, they did. Okay. Now, the question I have is, in your opinions, I'd like to go around the table here. Do you believe that the federal government is and their agencies are in fact, cooperating more or less with local enforcement when these emergencies arise. Most of you have been involved with police work for 20 or 30 years. Has there been a behavior pattern change by the feds, their ATF units, their FBI, etc., to where they are more prone to work with local enforcement when emergencies of this nature arise? What do you think, uh, uh, Brett? Well, as as far as doing any training with the feds, we never have. I don't. I'm not aware of anybody that's been doing that. But I don't see. I've been gone for a few years, but I don't see any cooperation or anything else going on besides the normal stuff. Nothing more advanced in any way. Dave, Dave, how about you? I think so. After nine eleven, I think uh, just in general that uh, you're, you're going to have more cooperation, especially if something like this is going on. You don't know. The Aurora shooting. Uh, yeah, the Aurora shooting. You don't know if it's some kind of loony terrorist in there or just some guy like this is a disgruntled employee. One thing I did want to point out, people want to piss and moan a lot of times about paying for police protection, but you look at uh, the salaries of, uh, and I'm not saying this has anything to do with the difference here, but you get what you pay for. And in Boward County, Florida, the deputies for the most part are making – around 50000 or a little less a year. We're in Aurora. They're up over 100000 a year. And once again, this isn't a money issue, but when you're paying your officers better, it also probably reflects on the fact that you're 
not only paying them more, you're probably outfitting them better, you're probably training them better, and you're probably taking a lot more pride in spending money on your police department. And like I say, I'm not saying that had a lot to do here with this, but I'm guessing by the caliber that the officers that we have in Aurora and the way they acted here from the veterans to the almost rookies, that they're probably recruiting a pretty good pool of guys up there. There seem to be a lot of almost an overwhelming force of police activity at the Aurora issue. I mean, they they came out of everywhere, right? And you got to understand too, with Aurora, it's a suburb of Chicago, and you got a lot of other large suburbs around. So you got a lot of departments up there, but they they do actively recruit, they do actively train and take care of their officers. It seems like, and I'm not saying they don't in Florida, but once again, sometimes you get what you pay for. Jerry, what do you think? Well, I think your uh, good communities that have a good working relationship with your federal agencies are the best. But uh, the federal agencies that are really good also go to your local communities and ask for help. And they work together and they provide services and they team up with your local jurisdictions. And they're the ones that are good ones. But when they fly independently is where you start seeing a breakdown between the feds and the local agencies. Um, We have to work together because they bring so many resources here. But and with our community, we're big enough where we have to solve our own problems, and we, we appreciate the help they provide to us, but we're going to solve it. Same with Aurora. I'm sure sure they probably save their, you know, fix their own problems before they rely on the feds, but I'm sure they probably do have a good working relation with Do you think the feds step on your toes as much as they used to? I don't think any federal agency is going to jump in any of these shitholes uh, situations to take it over. I don't see them happening. Amen, brother. They'll, they'll come in there, you know, two days after the fact and do all the news conferences. But no, I don't think they're going to take any uh, active uh, shooting or anything away from any local jurisdiction. Jeff? And then back to your question, since 9-11, there's been a lot of changes where incident command systems started, where Jerry was in one of the instructors in that, and it became formalized where it was more universal across the country. But when you get to situations that are going Right now, it's an ongoing scene. You're going to get the good agents that want to go out there and they want to get in the middle of it, and they'll jump in with you as an individual. They may not have even notified the people that they work for, I'm here. Now, what happens is when everything comes out, sunshine and lollipops, so-and-so from this alphabet soup was here, and we were right there helping, and we were doing all. If it's not, you probably were just assisting that guy, and whatever happens, you're on your own. I've seen that happen on a couple of occasions. But by and large, cops are cops. I don't care if they're state, federal, local, county, whatever. They just want to go out and get the bad guy. And the really good ones, it's like playing cops and robbers. They're going to get out there and be like, you can't stop them. They're coming. Chad? I think as far as having a response from like a, from a federal tax unit, I, I think it's just logisticals. It's, it's just plain logistics. They were up there. They were available. They're probably within a half hour out. They're coming, you know. A lot of jurisdictions, they're not going. They're not going to have that luxury. I mean, okay, we'll call for the, the nearest tech team. Might but, be a couple hours out. It's not Ch- going to happen. Chad, almost every community now has a SWAT unit in their sheriff's department and or larger. But you asked cities. about federal. I'm yeah, talking about yeah. having a federal well, response to it. Like like with us, absolutely, we, we'd have we would have two SWAT teams at, at our right. disposal. And, and I would say no. The majority do not have a SWAT team. Really? Oh yeah. You see a lot the of the rural community because I live in a small rural community of Washington State. No, they will team small. up in order to form. Yeah, they a have group. they have their own SWAT team. It's small, but I, it's, I just about bet a, 
Aurora is probably a, a joint operation too. I mean, there's probably multiple uh, jurisdictions that say, share the same SWAT team mm-hmm. up in there. Very it's possible. called their alert system. Yeah. They share resources. And they probably work together. They probably train together yeah. and, and, yep. and uh, train for situations like this. That's, which, what which, ho- that's what I'm hoping is happening. Well, the way it sounded, it was <clears throat> obvious to me. They, they have worked together in the past. And, and if they haven't, just hats off to you guys. Just out outstanding work. Also in this instance is a case where the bad guy in this case was a felon, and he has a weapon. He shouldn't have been allowed to buy the weapon. Background check was done on him. It was discovered after the fact that he shouldn't have had a weapon. So he sent a letter being told to turn in your FOID card, your federal or your firearms owner's identification card for the state, and turn in all weapons. And, gee, he didn't do it. That's sarcasm. That, <laughs> that's shocking. He actually he sent he was sent a letter. Yes, asking him to turn in his firearms. Turn in his firearms. And, and the reason for the, the letter being sent to him to restrict his firearm usage was they after they did the background check and it was discovered that we made an error. He should not have gotten the ability. Was to that have due to mental incapacity or mental? That I do not know. Criminal background. I believe it was, was because he was a felon. That's right. another state. Yeah, right, felon. He had, a fel- he had a felony from another state. Yep. Yes. And he purchased a firearm, and he was able to purchase that firearm with even, without being issued a FOID card. And they did the background check. And then afterwards, <clears throat> it comes up with a flag saying, hey, he's a felon out of another state. But he may have been one of them nonviolent uh, convicted felons. Well, he's just lucky he was 30 sure. miles south yeah. of Chicago, because yeah. if he would have went 30 miles north, you can't possess that firearm at all up there anyway. So Yeah, there's no firearms in the city of Chicago at all. So that yeah, was that's strict the sar- that's sarcasm yeah. again. Very strict Jerry, gun control laws. They work really yeah, well. Sarcasm. <laughs> yeah, the, There's no convicted sarcasm. felons up in Chicago. Either. There's no, no convicted felons, and that's sarcasm as well. Yes. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that the listeners you guys would haven't know. picked on anything we say is going to be sarcasm. Elected so officials, yeah. more sarcasm. So, so but that you, is a common denominator. That you look at a lot of these shootings and. Uh, that you have is that uh, there a lot of them are convicted felons that are involved in it. It's not your first time shooter. Really? Yes. Uh, of these, and I, I think a lot of the criticism that uh, Aurora received, and uh, they started placing blame on the actual employer, that they probably should have had a little better uh, training how to deal with difficult employees especially with people that have problems. You know, when you're hiring convicted felons, you have to treat them a little bit differently because they're trying to rehab them while they're there. And they did get a lot of criticism in here. Instead of making sure this guy, that someone talked to him before he was being fired and being a little bit nicer to him, it probably would have prevented this. And that was some of the criticism I heard come out of this whole incident. (laughs) How nice are you supposed to be with a guy with a gun trying to shoot you? Well, if they been not, they if they didn't hit that triggering mechanism by firing him, this probably would have never happened. I so, think was the whole point. So they it's, hurt his feelings. So, yes. so what you're actually suggesting to me, Jerry, is that employers are obligated to hire convicted felons, whether they want to or not, under federal law. Secondly, that the convicted felon may have his feelings hurt if he's terminated, and now the employer is obligated to make sure he doesn't become violent which is what he may have been convicted of in the first place as a felon, which the employer has to hire because he can't discriminate. So, Jerry, how does an employer get out of this obvious conundrum? That's a very good question. Thank you, Jerry. Answer it. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I, I understand that people need to give, uh, you know, felons and people that's made mistakes and a second chance. That's the big movement in the country right now. I, I get that, and I think we do have to make some type of efforts. But how do you blame an employer who did everything and tried to give this guy a second chance, and it just didn't work? I don't know what the circumstances, why he was being fired, if he's been making threats to other employee employees in the place, or if there's some other type of workplace violence that went on here. We deal with a lot of that where we're at, where we get calls from employers that, uh, you know, so-and-so has threatened to come back and shoot up the place. And the liability that's put on these uh, employers is just out over the roof. Out, it's outrageous. Off the top. It's, yeah, outrageous. it's outrageous. And how the point is, if we don't resolve this as a society, we're going to have more, not less of this activity because our society seems to be becoming more frustrated and polarized. We all know this. The shootings that we've discussed, Aurora and uh, the other one, Parkland, they seem that they're unusual. They seem that they're unique. But what they're doing is happening more frequently, which means that they're not only unique, which means one of a kind, but it's becoming a very frequent occurrence. So where do we as citizens, having to obey federal and state law, come down on these issues when, on the one hand, we're forced to make compromises in hiring practices and school policy practices and public arena practices of how we behave in public and at the same time keep our family safe. I'll turn that question a little on you, Mark. The problem is we have all these things happening and then what the government does is it turns around and looks at the police and say, now handle it. But when the question gets asked, everyone has the same answer that Jerry had. Silence. I don't know what we should do. Because but you're the spear point. You're not supposed to offend anybody. That's correct. And we need to go back to when little kids play games, keep score. When you do something wrong, you're responsible. Silly little things like that. Accountability. Might, yeah, it's a crazy word. But and you want... No, you don't want everyone to get a star anymore. When I don't they think come everybody in, in this case. I don't want a star. I want a trophy. Stars are for losers. Yeah, in this case, what you have that is was sarcasm. A group of people who were turning <laughs> no, want around, a trophy, trying to make the shooter part of the victim. There's a reason he did it, and I'm like, yeah, he's a bad guy. Yeah, simple. In other words, you're saying there are evil people. There is evil in this world. I've seen it a lot of times. The problem is I think you got your mass shootings and you got mass shootings here to stay because I think society is just it's the it's beyond repair at this point. Unless you get rid of the internet, get rid of video games, you change the media, what we're going to have everybody has to do is now change their response when something like this happens because somebody's finding the button or the the exact cause of what's causing all these mass shootings. I don't think that's going to happen. What can we do to prevent so it's just going to change your work response. I know they're doing it in schools. They're, they're doing mass shooting drills in schools. They need to do mass shooting schools at your place of work because this, for whatever reason, this is their people's out right now. I'm upset. I'm mad at you. I'm going to shoot everybody. How do you prevent something like that other than having everybody around there prepared and trained just in case something like this can happen? You don't prevent it. The key there is mass and to stop. You're not going to stop shootings. They're going to go in. The difference is you got to take this guy out before he kills 30 people. Sure. And the only way you're going to do that is people got to man up and carry a freaking gun. I, I think if you're mentally capable and you want to carry a gun, you ought to carry a gun. And so when you're at work, they either if they don't have armed security guards there, 
if you have concealed carry and this guy walks in and starts whacking people, somebody whacks him pretty darn quick. That's why we're going to stop mass shootings. You're not going to stop shootings. You just have to stop them from being mass shootings. But and the we can public do that. that demands their safety be protected is the same public that demands that you not be allowed to carry a weapon in churches, in schools, in public in general, and that they restrict that. You're not going to reconcile those two opposite views. That's where you have to speak the truth and the reality. And the public that you're right, as I said earlier, on a you know not too long ago, most gun control laws are utterly freaking useless. It's as simple as that. If somebody wants to commit mass murder, they're going to go out and try it. So instead of trying to take the gun out of his hand, if we can, great. But let's just admit it that we can't do that most of the time. Let's just figure out how we're going to put guns in the hands of the people that can use them responsibly to end this. I hate to tell you this, but states are in fact restricting gun possession far more than ever before. In our state of Washington, we passed 1639, which virtually is going to allow the authorities to come in and take assault weapons, pistols and anything else they want to take. And tying right into what we what Chad yeah. just said before, we, we've gone too far. Our society is already broken. It, it's nothing but a hot mess, mm-hmm. and it's getting a, even a hotter mess as these type of laws and stuff are passed. Well, let's go around and, and get a... a, a to, we've, we've talked about the conundrum and the conflict, so let's go around the table and see if we have a solution. Jerry, I'm sure you have one. A solution to mass shootings? Yeah. What's the... Jerry, how, how would you resolve this conflict? I wouldn't need this job anymore if I could answer that question. That's true. Well, they're going to have to address the mental health issue. And like Jeff said, it's comes a lot of it comes down to self-responsibility. We've came up with every excuse for little Tommy, who is messed up, broken families, mental illness. He wasn't liked when he was in school, girls girlfriend issues, whatever it may be, and then he goes what on a rampage. What is bed until five, Jerry? What is bed until five? Yeah. Dog they got by a car. But, uh, and, and we put a, uh, a race issue on a lot of these shooters, too. Like I said, if that would have been a, uh, a white guy going in and shooting up the plant, it would have probably be still headline news. But uh, as soon as they found out who the shooter was and that he was a convicted felon and met met all the uh, check boxes, it kind of went away in a couple days. You know, meanwhile, we got five officers still laying in hospital beds and their families. Yeah, that tried to uh, deal with the situation, plus the innocent people that died during the conflict. But yeah, we're out there address the mental health issues, make them make them responsible. I don't care if you got mental problems or not. You know, you need to be held responsible for your own actions. And I think maybe going after a mandatory federal death penalty case on a lot of these uh, active shooters. I mean, if you go in a, a protected place such as a school, church, with a firearm, public in, area, with a firearm to, to uh, do mass to casualties, that you're going to qualify for an automatic death penalty. Jeff, quickly. I'm old. And back in the old days when I was growing up, we had mental institutions where people were actually housed. We don't do that anymore in this country because that was archaic and cruel. Perhaps we should maybe pop our heads out of our butt and take a look at things of how we used to do things because we keep becoming more progressive because we keep coming up with better solutions, but we never fix the problem. Brett. I agree with Jeff, but, you know, 
as technology keeps growing and weapons and technology keep growing, we're going to have this problem. The founding fathers didn't, couldn't even comprehend having weapons like we have today that can mass kill people. So, yeah, we need to do something to curtail that. But restricting guns or, any, or making them more available to people, that's not going to, either one are going to be a good answer. Dave. Well, like I just said, you're not the mental illness, some gun control that that can all have a some effect, but you're never going to stop evil. You're just not going to do it. You have to be prepared to deal with it when it happens. And then, like I said earlier, to try to keep shootings from being mass shootings as best you can. Except it's going to happen. Be prepared to deal with it when it does. And the best way to do that is to basically kill the bad guy. The end. Chad, go ahead and wrap it up. We'll close it out real quick. Mental health, video game violence, and media coverage. I think are all huge parts of these mass shootings. What anyway. he said. So anyway, thank you very much for listening to Cop Talk America. Uh, that uh, covers our Aurora coverage for right now. We'll be right back with our next topic.